want to welcome every one of us into this building. We have all come to worship God, and I also want to welcome those of us joining online. This is Romford Baptist Church. I want to read from Psalm 100 as a call to worship. Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The Lord has been good to us, and even today marks the 78th anniversary of the Queen's ascension to the throne. It is worth giving thanks for. Irrespective of whatsoever we may be holding on to in terms of stress, in terms of issues of life, let us pack everything aside. The scripture says, enter into his gate with thanksgiving and into his court with praise. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I invite you now to stand to sing our first song, if you're able to do so. I cast my mind to Calvary. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. God so much loves us. And the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you believe in that God? Do you believe in Christ is the son of God? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that our God is three in one? Our Father everlasting. Let us invite God into our space. For the Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you because you are a good God. Thank you for the love. The scripture says, what is man that you so much care about them? We thank you, almighty Father. We thank you for the families present here and those worshiping from home. We thank you for the peace in this land. We thank you for the 70 years anniversary of the Queen's ascension to the throne. Thank you because the Queen herself is a worshiper. She loves you, Lord. Thank you for our service this morning. Thank you for the fire that is always burning on the pulpit. Thank you for our pastors. Thank you for our leaders, this church. Thank you for the worship team. 
Thank you for every department and for every soul you are using in one way or the other. Father, we have come together and your word says we are two or three are gathered, you will be there. Therefore, Lord, this morning we say be the center in this worship service. Touch every life. You have said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavily laden, I will give you rest. Father, we come to you this morning to receive your peace, to receive your rest, because we know that all that we all held dear, which we built our life upon, there is nothing in it. You are the only solid rock. Therefore, we stand on you, the solid rock, this morning. Be the center. Touch every life. And let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. We take our next song, All I Once Held Dear. We have just taken that song, Knowing You, Jesus, Knowing You, There Is No Greater Thing. The circumstances says, my heart's desire is to know you more. To be found in you and known as yours. I just want us to have a bit of reflection on that song which we've just taken. Is it truly your desire to know God more? Since last week that we listened to that sermon beautifully preached to be rooted in God, to stand up for God and to stand out and to face the future with that assurance that yes, God is with us. Is it something we have practiced at all? Or it's just a routine listening? Worship team, if you don't mind, please can we take that chorus again? Knowing you, Jesus. I want us to sing it if you really meant it. Is it your desire to know God more? Worship in place on daily basis. As the deer panted for waters that our soul will long after you, Lord. Thank you, almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let's be seated. I invite Elena. Good morning, everybody. Please do join us this evening at 6 p.m. for our evening service. We are gathering around the Word, and um, we're looking at a new series, and it's looking at the hymn, Yet Not I. So it's the first session this evening, so please do join us. For um, those of you who was at our evening service a couple of months ago, you'll know that Rich Shorter has taken up a call at Minster Baptist Church. Um, so because of that, the Shorters have moved out of um, the manse up in Harold Hill. So you'll see on the notice sheet, we um, need a team of people to help um, repaint the house now that they've moved out. And we also need the front and the back gardens to um, be kept tidy. So if that's something that you want to be involved in, please do contact Steve Street. Um, his email address is on the notice sheet. And then finally, just to give the children and young people a bit of a heads up where you're going this morning later on in the service. If you need creche, creche is available in the Oak Room. If you're primary school age, you're going to be meeting in the hall. 
10 to 14 year olds are going to be out in the youth lounge and if you're 15 plus you are going to be upstairs in the sycamore room if you're not too sure whereabouts those rooms are when it's time to go out Hannah will be at the door and she'll be able to point you in the right direction thank you I want to use this opportunity to welcome anyone who's just worshipping or you have been worshipping with us for some time and you are thinking of, yeah, it's for Baptist Church, um, a place I want to stay to join the membership of the church. If you are anywhere, you can just wave your hand whether it's today's your first time, and perhaps you are just passing by and you think, I want to know more about Romford Baptist Church. Please take this welcome booklet. It's with the stewards. You can have a good read. The vision of this church is where God is creating new lives. Where God is creating new lives. So, if you're thinking of joining us, or you want to know more about this church, please take this booklet, it's with the stewards, and on the last page, you will see where we have contact us. Kindly key in or insert your details therein, and you can just drop it in the offering box on your way out. We will pick it, and we will do the needful. Thank you for doing that. Uh, now is our time for offering, and uh, we are going to sing the song from the Eyes of Heights. And as we do that, uh, the children will also be leaving. Children and young people will be leaving uh, to their respective Sunday school classes. And if you still want to drop your offering as we sing that song, please make your way. We have two at the back, and one is in front of the queue here, kindly uh, drop your offering if you have not already done so. Let's be seated. It's time to listen to the word of God being read as I invite John. And the first part of our reading comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God then the king ordered Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, sorry, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord uh, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? 
the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamt. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, 
Praise be to the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chafe on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure, but it but will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, 
the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is the word of the Lord. beautifully sorted my microphone out while I was set there. I managed to catch it on the arm of the chair and it's now fallen back off. Just excuse me one moment. Well, we've got a hundred verses to look at or so. Hope you're <laughs> sitting comfortably. <laughs> wow, what a start to our book of Daniel. And if you were here last week or you are watching online, you will know that Ian did the whole of the book of Daniel in the space of about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. So maybe 100 verses is going to be nothing this morning. <laughs> but if you were here or you were listening, you will know that Ian reminded us of the need to stand out. We need to be rooted in prayer. We were reminded and assured of the hope of the future. And you can see all of those parts within those first two chapters this morning that we've just heard read. Alison and John, well done. Mammoth achievement, and you made it to the end, so thank you. What we've heard right at the beginning of chapter one is how the army of Babylon swept into Judah. It was deporting not only the head of the nation of Judah, Jehoiakim, so that the people of Judah had no one in whom they could put their trust, keep their eyes focused on, but also they took the brightest and best of the young men, they took the best of the precious articles from the temple. They stripped and removed not only the things or the king but also the identities of the, of the people that they took into their country. It was almost as if they were stripped of their own identities, of their own, their own nationality, in a sense. They were dehumanised. When Daniel and, and his friends had, had their names removed from them, it was as if they were kind of no longer who they once were, and they were being renamed into this new role that they were being given. All that they had in the land of Judah was laid to waste. It was destroyed. And I can't begin to imagine how that would have felt. I think actually the closest we can get to is if we were watching our televisions a little while ago when we saw the Taliban sweep into Afghanistan. And we saw lives and the people fleeing for their lives. But actually we know that many more were left behind. Many more continue to live in terrible condition. Many had little hope, but a lot of fear for what the future held. And I'm sure if we look back at that part, first part of Daniel's chapter that we've just heard this morning, you probably get a sense of that if we look at it in our modern day analogy. 
for Daniel, his three friends, and for the others who were put into service within the king, I am sure that actually they must have wondered, what is going to become of us? How can we remain true to our God, the God who's been with us all through our history, when we're living in such an alien and hostile and different world to what we have been accustomed to? And that, in a sense, is what we see in the rest of that chapter of chapter 1. Daniel and his three friends had a choice. They had a choice to conform to that training and that lifestyle that was being thrust upon them. Or to remain true as God's people. Using that word that was repeated several times by Ian last week, they had a choice to not Compromise. No compromise was the phrase that Ian kept using. To follow God's teaching in that hostile and scary place. But I wonder, would we have been able to do that? So what can we learn today from those chapters back in Daniel? Where if we think about it, we live in a secular world, a secular Britain, that's how it's becoming known. It's not no longer known as a Christian country, it's known as a secular country. And as Christians, we're called to live in this place, but to have no compromise. We need, as Ian challenged us last week, to stand out for our faith, for our God. Verse 8 of the chapter 1 says that Daniel and his three friends resolved not to defile themselves by eating and drinking the royal food. They made the decision not to compromise. They made the decision not to conform, but to eat differently from those around them. They were choosing to stand out from the crowd. There could have been all sorts of reasons for doing that. It could have been that the food actually that was being offered to them just went against that which there was their upbringing, that we can find in Leviticus chapter 11. It wasn't the kind of food that was being offered to them that they felt comfortable eating. It could have been that the food that was being offered to them was actually food that had already been offered to pagan gods as a sacrifice, and they knew that wasn't what God would want of them. Or it could simply have been that the food that had been there had been, you know, by eating it, they were saying, actually, we're going to ally ourselves with the king. And they didn't want to do that. Whatever the reason, and we don't know that all this time later, but what we do know is they made that decision to be different, to eat differently, to have that alternative diet for a test of 10 days, knowing that God would look after them. And we heard in that chapter from John, but actually, that's exactly what God did. They chose to stand out, and God blessed them for it. But I wonder how their fellow uh, men who'd been deported from Judah with them responded to them. Maybe they pointed the finger, what are you doing? We don't live in Judah anymore. Why are you sticking to those old-fashioned rules from Leviticus? Maybe they were taunted by the people of Babylon themselves. What are you doing? Why are you not eating this wonderful food? Maybe they were even being derided for trusting God because they had ended up in this place of Babylon. They'd been pulled out and lost their identity. Why would they continue to trust God? You would have thought it would be much easier for them to conform to all that was happening around them. To believe that God's word no longer applied to the setting they found themselves in now. But they didn't. They didn't compromise and they stood out for the choices that they'd made. But what about us? What about the choices that we make? I think sometimes we've developed a pick-and-mix type approach to what we find in our Bibles as to which bit we'll follow and which bit we won't. Perhaps we say, well, those instructions don't apply now in our society today. Society's moved on. Things are different. 
we do that, we're considered to be outdated or old-fashioned or out of step with society. And why would you want to do that? And perhaps if we look around and we think about the choices that we make and we see Christians and non-Christians following the same kind of decisions, then, well, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I'm being really careful this morning not to identify a particular choice or a particular lifestyle that I could point a finger at. Because actually, we all hold differing views on the various lifestyles and habits and choices that we make. But what I will say is this. The Bible makes it clear There aren't greater or lesser sins. Sin is sin is sin. There's no black sin or grey sin or white sin. There's no off-white sin. We aren't following what we believe we find within our Bibles and the practices that are there. Then we're not following God's teaching. And what is also clear from the Bible is that we are going to be accountable to God for the choices that we make. And so the one thing we do need to do is to know that the reason we are making the choices and living the way that we are choosing to live is because that is what is right between us and God. We can use reasoning well, society is different. Well, that is true. We can, use te- we can use reasoning that, well, no one will know what goes on behind our front door. But God will know. We can argue, well, other Christians are doing it, so why can't I? But when we stand before our God, don't let's be like Adam and Eve who pointed the blame at one another and then at the serpent because the choices that we are going to be judged on are ours and we can't point the blame at anyone else. And perhaps we look at our televisions and we see our political leaders or well-known high-profile figures pointing the finger at everybody else saying, well, I didn't know or, well, I can do this. No one will know what goes on behind my door, but actually, God always knows what goes on. Surely, we want to be standing out from the crowd because we are upholding the values and behaviours of God as we see them. We want to be standing up for truth and for justice, for peace and equality. We don't want to be standing out as a Christian Because our lifestyles and our behaviours leave others wondering what we even believe as Christians. And instead of bringing glory to God, we are rightly at the receiving end of that well-known phrase, and you call yourself a Christian. Surely, we want to be standing out and being seen as Christians because we are following a God who loves and who wants us to follow the teaching that we find within our Bible. So secondly, what kind of worshipper are we? Because in Daniel's case, he needed to stand firm and trust God, even in the face of death. Again, linking back to what Ian had said when he was talking last week, he talked about being rooted in our faith. Verse 15 of chapter 1 tells us at the end of the 10-day test period, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of their peers, and so they were permitted to continue to eat differently. And verse 17 tells us that God rewarded them for their faithfulness as he gave them the gifts of knowledge and understanding and learning that enabled them to shine above their peers and above those into the land to which they had been deported. Daniel was given an additional gift, a gift of being able to interpret visions and dreams of all kinds. And it's that gift that brought him to the king's attention, that enabled him to point to God. 
And then we see chapter 2. Chapter 2 that reminds me so much of the earliest story of Joseph. Joseph, who, if you remember, was thrown into prison after being a slave. But Joseph, who remained true to God and ended up giving an interpretation to Pharaoh and ended up in a real high status of position. That's what we've seen in chapter 2 of Daniel. And maybe we look at stories like Joseph and Daniel and we think, well, as Christians, God's going to bless us. He's going to pour out his favour upon us. He's going to show us his compassion because we are his children. And he was faithful to Joseph and he's faithful to Daniel and he'll be faithful to us. Yes, he will be. But equally, if we look at the lives of Joseph and look at the life of Daniel, we will know it wasn't easy. We will know that there were dark times. We will know that things didn't go according to plan. For Joseph, after being sold as a slave, he spent 13 years either in slavery and at least two of those 13 years in prison. Not the best life. And yet he knew that God was with him. And we knew, we know that God blessed him. Whatever we are walking through, God is with us. And if we can have our faith rooted in God and not turn away from him at those times, God will reveal himself and encourage us and help us walk those difficult and dark days, even when we don't understand what is happening. By chapter 2 and verse 12, we see that Daniel and his friends and all those classed as wise men in Babylon are due to be executed because the king wanted an explanation of his dream, even though he wasn't prepared, prepared to tell the wise men what that dream even consisted of. Talk about asking them to do the impossible. But God again heard Daniel's cries. He heard Daniel's prayers. He, Daniel dug deep into that foundation of his faith, even in the face of probable death, and he gathered his close friends around him, and he trusted God, trusting that God will reveal the dream to him. And we know that's what happened. But isn't it good to have close friends around, people we can call on, whether it's on RBC Plus or via our notice sheet or as we just walk alongside one another to know that people are there with us. We are asked to pray for someone, be faithful in praying because we need to encourage those who are struggling or who are facing something really horrendous. Be faithful in our prayer time. Dig deep for them so that we can encourage them in their faith as they too dig deep into the foundation of their faith too. And through it, we can point to God because that's exactly what happened to Daniel and the rest of that chapter too. We see that Daniel pointed to God, the God who is the hope of the future. In verse 26, Daniel asked, uh, if he was able to tell the king what the dream was all about. And he could have said, I know the answer to that, but he didn't. He said, my God has shown me what your dream involved. My God is the true God. The God is even more powerful than you, king, are yourself. That God is our God, the God of the future, the God who promises us hope, the God who is with us now and has been with us in the past. I bet Nebuchadnezzar was really pleased with the outcome of what Daniel said to him. We know he gave Daniel and his friends a really high position. But actually, for Nebuchadnezzar, he was probably more concentrated on the fact that what Daniel had been saying to him about the dream wasn't concerning Nebuchadnezzar, but was following the Medo-Persians and the ancient Greeks and the Romans who were following him on. Sometimes we can be selfish in our responses too. But if we look at those verses 20 and 23, we see Daniel praising God for his goodness and for his faithfulness. 
for the gifts and the wisdom that he'd been given. Thank God for answering the prayers that they'd offered and for reminding them that God is the one true God. Little surprise then that Daniel did praise God, did give thanks to God and pointed Nebuchadnezzar to God also. And we too need to point to God. Whatever we do in our day-to-day lives, whoever we meet, whatever we say, we need to be pointing out the God who holds all things together, both now and in the future. Again, is something that Ian was talking about last week. In verse 47, it very clearly says, Nebuchadnezzar recognised that God was the God of all. Surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And that is still true today. Because of Jesus, we know we have that confidence of eternal life and the promise of what is to come. But for the here and now, we need to be living and pointing to our God who's in us and may even be convicting us of the way that we are behaving. The song, I think we're not going to be singing this morning, but it has this in our last verse. It says, Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company I'll go where your love and footsteps show. Thus I'll move and live and grow in you and you in me. How much do we allow God into our lives? A little? A lot? Or are we still holding him at arm's length and we don't even want him to come in? We are living in a society which is so different to that of yesteryear, where Christian values are so much further down the priority, but they shouldn't be down the priority for us as believers. We need to be that counter-cultural person standing out from the crowd and talking about what we believe and why, why we worship a God who is the King of Kings. I'm not promising that it will be easy. But what I am promising is that when we are going through that and whatever the future may hold, we are going to be blessed. Because God promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to turn to communion. Sorry, worship, uh, worship team, for just taking off the next song. But let's pray. Father God, in all that we do and all that we are and all that the future will hold, we thank you that you are with us. Help us to know how to live, what your spirit is saying to us. Help us to know how to trust you, even when perhaps we are mocked and when we aren't living like those around us. Help us to trust you and to know that in those times of difficulty, you are walking with us so that we can dig deep into our faith and stand out to bring glory to your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to move over to the communion table. those who love the Lord are welcome to share in this table, to eat the bread and to drink the cup. All that is asked of us is that we live and follow Jesus, become his disciples. I've already talked about the certainty of knowing that God the Father created each one of us. Each one of us here, those of us watching online are different. We're unique. We have been created by God and God loves us. 
And so we are welcome to this table. And if we have accepted Jesus into our hearts, we're welcome to share in what we see here. But we also need to say sorry. And we can do that because we know that the Holy Spirit is living within us. And so as we come now to pray, to pray that prayer of confession, let's open our hearts to God as we turn to him. Loving Heavenly Father, we come to this table trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We recognise that it is because of your son who went to that cross that we can eat and drink together. But we are sorry because sometimes we don't always do what you would ask. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us when we aren't worthy to gather up even the crumbs under the table. And in that forgiveness, we acknowledge that it's your loving and merciful relationship with us that means that we can come and that you welcome us here. And so feed us, we pray, with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your son, that he may, we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. I'm reading from Luke 22 today. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. But I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's taken the cup. He gave thanks. He said, take it and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And as we are led in prayer of a prayer of thanksgiving by John, we are going to be grateful for all that he has done. Thank you, John. Let's pray. Being shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Father God, as we gather around this table with the elements of bread and wine, we thank you once again for the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we eat this bread and drink the wine, we are reminded again of his sacrifice on the cross, of his body, which was so cruelly scourged and nailed to the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the bread that reminds us of his body. And Lord, we thank you that the cup reminds us of the blood that he shed for the redemption of our sins. Father, we want to praise and thank you for this reminder of our Lord Jesus Christ as he shared that last supper with his disciples. He instructed them to do this in remembrance of him. And Father, we thank you that with countless generations down through the ages, we are able to remember our Lord's sacrifice once again in this way until he comes. We thank you in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The stewards uh, will come out and give you the bread. Can I just invite you to hold your hands out and they will place it into your hands. It is bread that is uh, suitable for people who have dietary requirements, so do feel able to eat. And eat as you receive it, and we'll drink together when we receive the cup.
The blood of Jesus poured out for you. Drink and be thankful. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and our bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and to work to the, your praise and to your glory. Amen. I ask you just to hold on to your cups. Um, Shadi's going to lead us in prayers, and then in our final hymn, they will come and be collected from you. Thank you, Shadi. Good morning, church. Just like we heard in the um, scriptures that was read by um, Alison and John about the book of um, the book of Daniel, when Daniel prayed that the Lord should give, show mercy that we're able to interpret the dream of the king. This morning, I want us to go before the Lord. Please open your mouth, pardon me, open your mouth and ask God to show you mercy. That the Almighty God will show you mercy in everything that you're going through. We thank God for this month of February, but I want you to go before the Lord and ask for the mercy of the Lord. Bible says, the Lord says, it will be merciful unto whom it will be merciful. It will show compassion unto whom it will show compassion. This morning, I want you to cry unto the Lord in your own way. The Lord show me mercy. I pray for your mercy in whatsoever I'm going through. In my health, in the life of my children, in my own life, I cry for mercy. He is a merciful God, and indeed, he will show us mercy. Father, Lord, we thank you. And right now we're going to we're still going to be praying in that attitude of God showing us mercy for those who are um, sick in our midst. That the Almighty God will indeed show them mercy. We're going to be praying for Lillian, for Brian, for Marin, for Pauline, for Iris, for Linda, for Cynthia, for Pamela.
that the Almighty God will indeed show them mercy. He is the Almighty God. He is the Jehovah Rapha. He is the Bam in Gilead. That in his own mercy, he will heal them. Because the, the Bible says, he wish above all things that we may prosper and be in good health. We pray that divine health will be their portion in the mighty name of Jesus. Our Father and our God, we continue also to pray for those who are bereaved in our midst. It's not easy to lose a dear one. Father, Lord, this morning, we pray for this one, so God. We pray that, Lord, you will open arms, out your arms of love, and you will embrace them. And you will take that sorrow away. You will wipe their tears, almighty God, in the mighty name of Jesus. We're still going to be praying for, we're going to pray for Hannah. They, on this coming Monday, she's going to be buried. They're going to have the funeral for her grandma, grandma. That the almighty God will indeed show mercy. That the name of the Lord will be glorified. That all everything will go on well. With the funeral service, the service will go on well to the glory of his name. On, on, on Wednesday also, Wesley will be having for, for Wesley for the funeral service. That the name of the Lord will be glorified. That the Lord will take perfect control of the funeral service in the mighty name of Jesus. Our Father and our God, we also pray for those who are in hospital and those who are recovering at home. That the almighty God God will touch them. The hand of the Almighty God will indeed show Himself strong in their lives. We continue to pray also for winter gardens and parkside. The Lord in all and the um, community morning advice center. We pray for the meeting place. The Lord, your your name alone will be glorified in all these projects, and your name alone will be exalted in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray, Father, for Mike Simpson who is preaching at Brentwood Baptist Church this morning. We pray for your anointing to come upon him afresh. We pray that, Lord, when he opens his mouth, you will fill it with your word, and your name alone will be glorified. That your word will impact lives. Your word will save. Your word will deliver. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We thank you even for our emergency and social care services. As they struggle to find time to rest due to staff shortages, we pray that you will strengthen them. You will be merciful unto them. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this month of February. That, Lord, in everything we do in this month, indeed you will show us mercy. And your name alone will be glorified. Thank you, almighty God, for in Jesus' name we have prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Sade, for leading us as we conclude our time together with those wonderful words from our final hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we sing. Amen indeed. And we're going to say the words that are going to appear on our screen. And it's a, a blessing as we leave this place together. She says confidently. <laughs> May the peace of the Lord Christ go with us, wherever he may send us. May he guide us through the wilderness, protect us through the storm. May he bring us home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown us. May he bring us home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen and God bless you.